Hey everybody! Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. We're the Classic Gaming Brothers. We are, that's yeah. right. Yeah, and this is episode 40, Big Four Zero. This is in fact the age that you become when you get Over the Hill cards. Yes! So soon Classic Gaming Brothers will be getting its Over the Hill card. Yes, at one point I remember when we were just learning how to drive and drink. It's true, feels like only <laughs> yesterday. Yesterday. This isn't a clip episode, don't worry. <laughs> clip show. <laughs> The clip show. Oh yeah, and then oh that'd be great. And then we could just run a bunch of clips back to back, and then you'll know that the classic gaming brothers had actually snuck off for the day. That's right. And our chairs were spinning over here at the classic gaming brothers headquarters. Yeah, we'll, we will not. We will not release a clip show yet. Yet. <laughs> I never want to say never, just in case. It's true. Who knows? Like 120 episode episodes. Yeah, episode 41 is going to be the clip show, but it's only going to be a clip show of episode 40. <laughs> <laughs> good it's just a repeat uh, we'll just release it see if anyone complains uh but yeah episode 40 that's a uh, pretty awesome seth i'm gonna tell you about the game i've been recently playing because that game is uh completely unrelated to any of this <laughs> but it's how we start this podcast so yeah uh the game i've been recently playing is blood and truth it was developed by sie london studio in 2019 and it is a vr first person shooter action game and it's pretty fun i've been playing it on the playstation vr the psvr i thought uh I, i'd get, set up my psvr again it's been collecting a little bit of dust but i picked up this game and thought i'd give it a shot you play as a guy who after returning home from his time in the military has to deal with a corrupt businessman who then attempts to take his family hostage thankfully his family is very good with guns um so they kind of avoid a lot of the hostage situation but his whole uh, family is good with guns yeah like his brother's good with guns his sister's good with guns and then his mom i mean I, his mom hasn't shot anyone yet but she feels like she's good with guns. That's that's fun. Yeah, yeah. But you're especially good with guns because you're in the military. So it, it's it's a pretty cool game. You kind of feel like you're playing in like the action scenes of like a Kingsman movie or like a Guy Ritchie film. You know, over the top explosions, a lot of fun moments. Uh, one of my favorite moments happened pretty early in the game. You're at a club and you uh, are trying to cause a distraction. So your guy's standing at like a DJ booth and you just start pressing buttons and you could like spin the record around and then people start coming in. And you can continue scratching the record as you're shooting at people who are coming in to stop you. Oh, that's fun. So I was like, I was like, oh, this is great. Um, the nice thing about it is that it actually plays very similarly to arcade shooters. So instead of like wandering around in a first person shooter, uh, it kind of prompts you to like look in the direction you want to move, press the button and you'll move toward the pointer and then you kind of duck in and out of cover as you move from gotcha. point to point um so it's not really a traditional first person shooter it's, it plays more like you would in a um like an arcade game maybe like time crisis or, or virtual cop two games that we we, we talked about in previous episodes a gunblade new york or <laughs> gunblade new york but it does have some cool mechanics when it comes to the vr element um like to reload you have to bring your one hand close to your chest to grab the clip and you have to load it into the, the, the gun. Um, you know, not as, as, as realistic as maybe some of the newer VR games like half-life Alex, 
um, where you actually have to like drop the clip, toss the clip, put the clip in, like reset the recock the gun. But it's uh, it's nice to have kind of uh, some things to do with your hands in order to feel a little more in depth in the game. But yeah, overall, it's been a fun time. But what about you, Seth? What have you been playing? Uh, so recently, I've been playing uh, Bioshock Infinite, uh, a game that came out in 2013, done up by Irrational Games and published by 2K. In it, you play as a character named as Booker D. Witt, and the game takes place in 19. 19- 12 in an alternate timeline because it takes place on a flying city called Columbia, which is a very weird world full of very strangely religious people. They really love George Washington, Ben Franklin, and Thomas Jefferson and worship them as almost godlike people. Um, There is also a group that really loves John Wilkes Booth. The leader of Columbia, uh, who is known as the Prophet and is Prophet Comstock, has split from the United States and has turned the entire city into a theocratic police state that is also flying. The game is very much, so it's 1912, so you're running on the edge of the Civil War. It definitely plays up and plays into a lot of racial issues that hap- that were happening around that time and happen around today even, where a lot of Columbia is segregated, uh, they very, very racially charged language, and there's things that the game brings up, and as Booker, you can decide on kind of how you take on it and whether or not you like fight racial injustice throughout the game as well. I'm not that far into the game, so I don't really want to divulge much beyond that um, because I'm not exactly sure how the game really deals with it further in, but I know that the game does cover a lot of racial issues throughout the game. Though one of the things that was a departure for me in regards to the game itself um, between, so Bioshock Infinite is obviously in the Bioshock franchise as it were and bioshock one took place uh, under the water in this city called rapture and bioshock infinite's taking place in the air on the city called columbia one of the things about uh bioshock one had was that there was like a like a dearth of non-monstrous people so in bioshock one the people that you encounter were mostly combative npcs they were fighting you. Being non-monstrous, not saying that the people in Bioshock Infinite are not monstrous. They certainly are. But they are not trying to murder you. All of them are not trying to murder you at once. Which is what's happening in Bioshock 1. And in Bioshock 1, um, beyond the audiobooks, you know, the audio diaries, there's not a lot of people MP- like dialoguing with you. And the game deliberately... The original game is deliberately developed that way so that it concentrates on the voice work versus the graphical look of the people because they didn't have a lot of assets for people. Infinite is the opposite. So Infinite just is a a pile of people everywhere and you can interact with them, albeit like very limited interaction. Most of them are just talking at you, but You can really, like, you can walk through. There's, like, a beach section where there's people lounging on the beach and they're talking. And Columbia feels lived in, where Rapture felt abandoned. Uh, Bioshock 1, you're kind of investigating this abandoned, twisted world that's falling apart. Rapture is literally falling apart at the seams. Bioshock Infinite, you're fighting a currently twisted world where people are living in the city and you essentially have a face to the monster as it were and it's 
very much I think that inclusion of all these NPCs is is a service to uh, the world and the creature the people that you fight some of them are like the policemen of Colombia where in Bioshock 1 you're fighting drug-addled slicers with like knives for hands <laughs> so it's like right yeah yeah, yeah. It's a different type of horror, as yeah, it were. Yeah, yeah. It's less of like creepy horror and more of like disturbing, unsettling. Like unsettling horror, yeah. in, it's almost like watching like a horror movie, like any any horror movie that you would see in in theaters, versus like Jordan Peele's Get Out, where the like horror in Get Out is a different kind of horror. <laughs> it's like like the racial tensions enough is enough to be horror versus you know, the creepy things of, of the movie. And which, which I, I, I like, I think that Bioshock Infinite, they did, a, they think they did a good job at it. And it so far has been playing out to be a pretty good game. I, I definitely would uh, recommend it. If you like uh, the Bioshock series, they are working on a new, new Bioshock that's coming out sooner rather than later. And it will not be taking place in Rapture, nor will it be taking place on Columbia. So we've, we've done under the water. We've done in the air. Now we just got to do on the land. On the land, perhaps in a volcano or something. Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, or on the moon. One of my favorite quotes actually comes from Bioshock Infinite. It's specific. It's a earlier scene, so I don't think it, it's not really, and it's not really a spoilerly spoiler moment. Um, but it's specifically uh, one of the first times you encounter the Prophet Zachary Comstock, and uh, he says, uh, "The Lord says to forgive, but I am a prophet, so I don't have to." <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's just a, that's a very good quote. <laughs> I like it's very good. He's he's very um he channels his uh Andrew Ryan as it were. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, except he's far more I think oh well whether or not he's more villainous than Andrew Ryan is an entirely different thing. And I think the Bioshock series does something and not to turn this into a Bioshock podcast, we'll do a Bioshock episode soon. So I think something cool about the Bioshock universe and the Bioshock games is that they all kind of have a focus on like a a philosophy like Bioshock and Bioshock 2 are very much set in the the Ayn Rand objectivism. Well, Bioshock and oh, Bioshock 2 or Bioshock Infinite? Bioshock 1, like the original Bioshock and Bioshock yeah. 2. Uh, yeah. like the with the big daddy. Uh, like the idea of rapture is very much based on Ayn Rand's objectivism and like Atlas Shrugged and stuff like that. Um, I mean, Andrew Ryan's name alone is a reference to Ayn Rand. And then, like, Bioshock Infinite is based on, like, American exceptionalism or something, you know? It's, it's like, each one has a very prominent theme in them that I think is uh, it's always interesting to take away with. So I'm kind of curious what this next Bioshock down the line will be. Not only American, ex- it's more ex- American expansionism. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Very much like... And that and that plays into it. The whole their whole and their whole connection to America plays into it. Yeah, we'll do a once again, we'll do a Bioshock down the line. Uh this episode though, episode forty, big deal. Forty weeks of classic gaming brothers. We're twelve episodes away from producing an entire year's worth of classic gaming brothers. And what do we picked about our 40th episode? Was it Bioshock? No. It was, in fact, one of the most disappointing consoles around. Yes. The Sega Saturn. A console that has ended up on a lot of worst video game console lists, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, which is, we did uh, its pre- uh, successor uh, in our 
earlier episodes, the Sega Dreamcast. Uh, and now we're going to be talking. We, we realized we skipped the Sega Saturn. And I mean, would you blame us? And <laughs> we also so we also skipped the Master System. But like, <laughs> yes, we did. And uh, all the attachments for the Segas and other Ataris and. We skipped a lot, and all the mobile systems and stuff like that. We we skipped over a lot of stuff. We, we, but we always skip things, but we did want to talk about the Sega Saturn. You know, we we alluded to the disappointment of the Saturn a lot in our Dreamcast episode. So now we're going to talk about the disappointment of the Saturn. Yes, primarily this entire episode is going to be a disappointment <laughs> for more ways than one. In many ways, in many ways, and uh, I think to top it off, talk a little bit about at least I'll talk a bit about my my memories with the Sega Saturn. So I never personally played a Sega Saturn. Like I I have played one. Uh, but I haven't played one in the sense of like I didn't know anyone that owned one. I kn- I knew no one that owned a Sega Saturn. I didn't know anyone that owned like really any Sega systems besides us. But also I, I don't have a Sega Saturn. It hasn't been a system that I've wanted, which is weird because I'm really into collecting old video game systems and especially I love Sega systems. And I've seen Sega Saturns for sale, usually not super duper expensive, maybe in the like eighty to ninety ballpark region in in terms of like a used console. But like still, it's just like eh. Well, really want it but i did play a sega saturn once and i don't know how old i was but i was playing the game clockwork night or it might have been clockwork night 2 i'm not entirely sure but it was a side-scrolling platform game that had some like full motion video and 3d polygons and i was playing it using a sega saturn demo unit at the funko land that my dad used to take me to very very long time ago back when funko land was still a thing the thing i remember about clockwork night is it was really impressive in the sense that i was used to playing sega genesis games which i thought were visually impressive but this game felt way more fluid in the sense that the animation seemed way more smooth the the, the, the like the character sprites were more detailed uh, there were 3d polygons on the screen which you didn't really see uh, it was just more visually impressive than Sega Genesis games were, and I remember being kind of impressed by that. I don't remember being particularly interested in, like, getting the Saturn. I just remember that I played one. So, yeah, that's my memories of the Saturn. It, you know, I think it's funny, uh, and somebody might be thinking about this already, is that uh, Zach mentioned that he really likes Sega Genesis and he really likes Sonic games. And he mentioned his first interaction with a 3D Sonic was a Dreamcast game. Yes. Yet Sonic is the flagship and headliner for Sega. We'll get into that. Yes. Why yes. there's perhaps and there's a gap here with why didn't Zachary see it on the Sega Saturn? Why is his memory not seeing a Sonic game on Sega Saturn? Well, we'll find out. So I had a friend who had a Sega Saturn, and I remember he had a game called Nights into Dreams uh, for the Sega Saturn, and it was a trippy type of game where you played as like flying jesters from my memory. Um, They... You, they, uh, we'll get into the premise of the game because it's one of the more notable games of the Sega Saturn. But um, you definitely played as like these purple and red flying jesters as you flew through a dream world. Uh, it was interesting. Um, and he was the only person I knew who had a Sega Saturn, and that was the only game that I actually saw being played on a Sega Saturn. I'm not even sure if I saw him play it. I might have just saw his CD box that had it, and I filled in the memories of what it was. Like, my brain just auto-filled in whatever it was, and it was like, yeah, we'll just put this in. But yeah, so, yeah, not a lot of, uh, not a lot of recollections on the Sega Saturn 
it's uh, been either either we uh, didn't have any or someone erased them from our mind. Yeah, maybe it's like the Berenstein Bears, Berenstein Bears thing. Where oh, yeah, we're not getting into no, that. No, no, no. So to talk about the Sega Saturn, we have to talk about its history and we'd have to talk about sega so sega had was seeing worldwide success with the sega genesis um and this was in the in the 90s you know they they dropped the genesis in in japan in 88 in in america in 89 and it was it was doing hot it was it was a hot cookie especially with sonic the hedgehog being their flagship title and also their killer app as time moved on however people began not being interested in sega anymore and nintendo was starting to steal the market back so sega saw an initial boom with the genesis where they were kind of wiping the water with the with nintendo and then and then super nintendo came around and super nintendo started to kind of get those fans back um specifically with some of the more complex games that super nintendo had to offer so sega needed something and they needed to move on to something bigger um they had a commercial disappointment with the sega cd in 91 and sega knew that their plane had to be something new and innovative they couldn't just keep remaking the genesis so while the saturn was in development they decided to remake the genesis <laughs> and sega of america was in development of something called the 32x now the 32x was designed to keep the genesis effectively on life support until something new came out and the reason for that was because sega of america president at the time he was under the impression that the saturn wouldn't be available until at least 96 so they needed something to fill that market gap all of sega of america's promotion and such went into going into the 32x and as a note reportedly the sega america team was not really entirely aware of the time schedule of the saturn's development they knew the saturn was coming out they just didn't know when and sega was being weirdly secretive with the with the sega of america team like sega of japan was being secretive with their own team of people just in america being like ah you know it's coming it's coming don't worry about it they weren't right they weren't an internal them. team was being deliberately evasive to another internal team yeah yeah right which is bad incredibly bad so the 32x was released in november on november 21st 1994 in north america which was one day before the release of the sega saturn in japan and overall consumers just started to become confused because then the saturn ended up dropping in 95 not 96 so in in less than a year the saturn was available in may of 95 so overall consumers were starting to become very confused by the existence of the 32x because sega of america was putting all of their money and their advertisement into this 160 dollars add-on to a system that they were saying was going to be replaced um, the 32x did terribly it only sold 800,000 units total between two years 94 and 96 um and that was during its run so after 96 it was discontinued and that's that's a terrible that's worldwide sales was 800,000 units that was a terrible market that they they saw well in japan you just buy the saturn exactly so in japan they were just buying the saturn which came out the day after now the saturn did eventually come out it, again it came out in 20 in november 22nd of 1994 the day after the 32x came after out in north america then it kind of had a surprise release of may 11th 1995 in north america and then july 8th in europe and i say right. surprise release because again sega of america was not aware it was going to be available that soon they thought it was going to be going on for another year at least 
least to expect it. May itself was a surprise. Yeah, and, and May was four months earlier before their their planned release. Yeah, so it was it was just a surprise overall. So the Saturn to to break down the Saturn as as a whole, it's part of the fifth generation of video games. So it's competing against the likes of the Sony PlayStation and Nintendo sixty four. And the Saturn saw success in Japan since Nintendo hadn't really gotten their console their console out yet to the market and it launched earlier than planned in north america so it was not able to repeat that success when the n64 was released in late 1996 the saturn rapidly lost the share in the united states states where it was eventually discontinued in 1998 the sega saturn sold 9.26 million units worldwide which is a commercial failure though better than the dreamcast and one of the main failings of the saturn especially to sega fans was sega's failure to release a sonic game on the Sega Saturn, or at least a, a mainstream Sonic game. So they did have they did have a racing game known as Sonic R, which was bad and was a racing game. It was like the equivalent of Mario Kart, but worse. And then they had another game we're going to talk about called Sonic Jam, which was a compilation of of previous Sonic games. They didn't release a mainstream Sonic game, and yeah, no people original wanted one. Sonic game. Yeah, there was no original Sonic game. There was no mainstream like you know fun Sonic game that you'd expect on a Sega console. So it it would be like if nintendo went to market with a nintendo and did not release a mario game exactly exactly for the entire run of a, of a system the entire life cycle that's not to say they're not released. that's not to say there wasn't a sonic game that was in development though and we'll talk about a little bit later the game known as sonic extreme x stream like the letter x t-r-e-m-e not e-x stream not that it makes a difference but just for you all to keep in your head the the wording that sega was was planning but yeah to to, to say the least uh, i think not only was the the failure of releasing a sonic game one of the issues but it was also that massive miscommunication between sega of america and sega of japan that really damaged the saturn because the american consumers were very confused again why why there was a 32x and why they had to buy the saturn a lot of a lot of also consumers were still getting used to the whole idea about new video game systems being like updated and such like for example when the super nintendo came out not to get into too long of a discussion about this but when the super nintendo came out um there was this kind of concern in the consumer base in in the sense that they weren't really sure what the point was of buying a super nintendo if they couldn't play original nintendo games on it in a very similar vein Sega was saying, well, listen, the 32X is going to allow you to play your original Sega games, but also be open to all these new Sega games with better graphics that are going to be superior to the Sega games that you remember playing. But then they just released the Saturn anyway, and we're like, oh yeah, and also there's a brand new video game system when we're discontinuing the 32X. So. Which uses CD-ROMs instead of... And, and is completely not compatible with any of the previous games. Like, the Saturn was not compatible with the Sega with the Sega Genesis games. It was not compatible with the 32X games, which were also 32-bit graphics similar to the Saturn. Not compatible with it. <laughs> And it had its own library of games, so it was very con- confusing for the, the, the consumers. And it wasn't even compatible with the uh, Sega CD either. It was not compatible with Sega CD, no. It was it was its own unique thing. So just 
really confused people as to why they needed another Sega system after they've already invested so much money in all these other things to go with the Sega Genesis. You know, people joke and say that the 32X and the Sega CD, you know, when combined with the Genesis, make the system look like it's on life support with all the wires and such. But if you think about from a consumer model, that's what consumers want. They don't want something that they have to buy something new and can't play their old things. They want something that they can kind of translate over into the into the new thing. Um, so I think that was also something that really damaged Sega's chances at having the Saturn be a success. Um, also, uh, the Sega CD was another attachment for the Genesis. Right, yeah. And then as as we know, based on our Dreamcast episode, it, Dreamcast came fast and quick after the Genesis or the Saturn was discontinued in 98. Yeah, absolutely. It's like 98 in Japan and in 99 in North America, the Dreamcast was coming out. So there was a, a rough ride for the end of uh, Sega's uh console development there were some games that came out onto the sega saturn one of the more notable games is the the game uh nights nights into dreams it was released in 1996 which is uh right around the time that the sega saturn was uh closing up shop <laughs> <laughs> where you uh fly around and the characters to me look like jesters they also may just be in sleeping caps. I'm not exactly sure. They have very long hats. Yeah, yeah. It was developed by the Sonic team and published by Sega. And for the time, the graphics were very good. And there were uh, seven levels that were referred to as dreams. And each of these levels had different segments within them called mares. Each level that you get would be dependent on the character you select and their path through the game. There were two different characters you could play as. Uh, split three and three um, between the two characters, uh, with the last level both of them going through that particular level. The bulk of the game is spent in flying sequences. Uh, something interesting that I learned about the game was that there was a feature of an artificial life system known as the A-Life, where entities in the world called Nightopians had their moods tracked. And it was in fact possible for a Nightopian to mate together to create a Suprian, Suprian, where it would be like a, a different monster that would fight. And it would be determined that they would mate together by this A-Life system that was in place. And the, the more the game was played, uh, the more inhabitants appeared in the levels and the more the levels changed around. The system, the A-Life system, also allowed uh, the musical engine to evolve as well, changing temp tempo and speed with the Nightopian's mood, depending on whatever mood they were feeling in each of the levels. It also synced with the system's clock, so depending on the time, it would alter features around the game, which I thought was a pretty neat a kind of uh, uh, innovative for its time type of feature. So the the next game that we were going to talk about is called Panzer Dragoon. It's a 1995 rail shooter by Team Andromeda. It was one of the first games that was released with the Sega Saturn's North American launch. Panzer Dragoon puts you in the role of a hunter named Kale Fluge? Fluge? going to go with Fluge, who flies a dragon in a post-apocalyptic sci-fi world. The player moves around a, a reticle 
representing a laser that the dragon can shoot. Again, this is a post-apocalyptic sci-fi world, so the dragon can shoot lasers as opposed to fire. And you blast at enemies that fly at you. The game is in a 3D environment on a predetermined track, so you're, you're constantly moving down this track as enemies are just hurling at you. Actually, if anyone's ever played the Kingdom Hearts games, the um, gummy ship segments of those games are very similar to Panzer Dragoon. The game is heavily inspired by French artist Mobius, who kind of released a lot of like post-apocalyptic sci-fi artwork and a lot of his art. Um, Miyazaki's Nausicaa of the Valley of the Winds, and also David Lynch's Dune. There's Dune again, another reference, <laughs> just, just for you. Another thing I wanted to note about the Panzer Dragoon game is that it was the first in the Panzer Dragoon series. The series has been, um, had, it became popular. There was a second one also released for the Saturn called Panzer Dragoon 2 Jouet. And there was also an RPG game that departed from the kind of flying style of uh, like 3D shooter called Panzer Dragoon Saga, which was the RPG. Um, and just a fun fact, a complete in box copy of Panzer Dragoon Saga goes for the hefty price right now of $1,142. Wow. So, so, so if you have that rare. in your collection somewhere, it might be time to sell that one and get a little money. You could, I'm sure you could part with Panzer Dragoon for $1,000. There was a Virtual Fighter as well that was on the Sega Saturn, which was the game that was uh, originally in the arcades in 93. Uh, Virtual Fighter was ported to the Sega Saturn in 94 when uh, Japan got the Sega Saturn and 95 when North America and Europe got the Saturn. Virtual Fighter was a launch game for Saturn, thankfully, or else you wouldn't have any games to play. <laughs> it was served as a, a pack-in title for the North America release. Uh, it also saw release on the Sega 32X because why not? Just confuse the consumer some more. <laughs> uh, there was a remixed version called Virtual Fighter Remix that had a higher polygon models, uh, texture mapping, and some gameplay changes. Uh, this version was also given out to free for anyone who had registered Sega Saturn in the U.S. And so I, I think it's interesting that uh, they ported a game to two different systems simultaneously. And can you just imagine somebody like a kid wishing for Virtual Fighter and getting the Sega Saturn version when they have Sega 32X? More realistically, they have a Sega Saturn and they get the Sega 32X version. Yeah, oh yeah. There was also like, I'm, I yeah. guaranteed that happened. There was also again, we'll we'll talk about the Sega CD and 32X maybe someday, but there was also like specific versions of 32X and CD games that you had to have a 32X and a CD to play. Sega was very bad sometimes at making video games <laughs> so you know they just lost their way but i'm not terribly surprised that that they inadvertently confused the market so much so next up we'll talk about a game that never was released that game is sonic extreme it was a platforming sonic game uh, and seth made a note here aren't they all that was in development from 1994 until its inevitable cancellation in 1997 it was originally intended to be the sega saturn's flagship title in a in its original sonic game you know not the sonic racing game not the sonic compilation but this was going to be the sonic game for the saturn the reason you bought a saturn it was to build on all existing sonics and the storyline was going to follow sonic and his journey to stop the evil Dr. Robotnik from stealing magical rings from Tierra Bubowski and her father. And Seth included a little picture of Tierra Bubowski, and she's like an orange hedgehog or something. Like, maybe like a 
like a fox? I can't really tell. She doesn't have spikes. I, I, don't, I have I no idea. I Maybe she's like I, a I don't squirrel know. or something. I just assume it's a hedgehog because she was intended to be Sonic's love interest. <laughs> yeah, but in one of the games, in the, in the Sonic game for the Xbox, Sonic's love interest is a human. So... <laughs> 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 Sonic don't care. Sonic don't care. It's just all love to Sonic. So Tierra again was originally intended to be Sonic's love interest and have a romantic tension threaded throughout the game. She was also intended to be playable. However, they had to drop her playability to concentrate on just Sonic, and eventually, of course, the game was canceled. Sonic Extreme was originally uh, a concept to succeed Sonic and Knuckles, which came out in '94 for the Genesis. And they had to change it to the 32X and then to the Saturn. And eventually, the game had to get redesigned in 1996 to be a 3d platformer instead of a side scroller it was originally being drafted out as then sega of japan executives visited sti which was the company that was developing sonic extreme and they had issues with the sega game with the game engine that they were using and that caused further disruptions also staff kept getting sick which made it even harder for them to hit their deadlines and thus the game was eventually canceled uh, one of the programmers chris coffin had contracted pneumonia chris sen the designer became so ill that he was told by his doctor that he only had six months to live spoiler alert he survived and now with both the programming and the design teams just understaffed the game had only two months to hit the deadline so they just had to cancel it outright the overall game development caused three lead programmers and half the production team to leave over the entire development cycle because the office politics and culture had gotten so bad that they had to just get out of there sonic extreme i do want to note is kind of an interesting title because like some of the other previous sonic games we actually have a lot of documentation and insight into the development cycle because of what's come out after the fact and that's something you don't get with a lot of games that are canceled you don't necessarily get things like you know full assets or or levels and stuff like that and there's actually playable builds of sonic extreme that you could burn onto a cd and pop into a saturn and through careful modding and such and actually get to run and they're not really full games it's like a 3d environment that sonic can run around in circles and like clip through walls and stuff like that but it is uh, essentially playable <laughs> uh, i mean you can move sonic and a lot of that is thanks to the hard work of people like the uh team over at the cutting room floor which does a great job they're a website they do a great job at preserving development notes and such of of some of these games that were canceled and in games that are, were in development um, so they have a lot of stuff on Sonic Extreme, um, and I think they recently actually put out a couple of releases of some playable dev uh, builds of Sonic Extreme that are actually playable even through the computer. Someone had managed to get the code running on PCs, which is kind of cool. You get to just press play. You don't have to like load it into a, a Saturn. Uh, I think part of the thing is that people are feeling sad about Sega and not being able to get a Sonic game out there. I don't. Uh, Sega, uh, Sega was the, one of the major reasons that Sega ended up having to shut down their home console business was because of Sega's inability to communicate. Um, a number of our issues that we talk about and why uh, Sega had such poor sales and not being able to, they confused the market. They weren't able to bring a product like successfully to market. Um, their marketing and their messaging was all unaligned, even between their own teams. They're, they were competing internal teams together. It's just something that if they just got what they deserved, really. Um, the final game that we're going to talk about is uh, a game called Sonic Jam. Uh, 1997 came out. It's not 
really a standalone Sonic title. It is, as Zachary mentioned, a compilation of previous Sonic games. Uh, it was unique in, in, in a couple of ways, though. Uh, the games were not emulated, but were, in fact, uh, true ports that were built for the gr- from the ground up for the Saturn, which shows that they cared uh, a little bit, because if they were very lazy, they would have just emulated it but uh they in fact built the games up from the ground up for the saturn so then they ran correctly uh for the the saturn without any lag or anything of that nature uh another aspect another uh, aspect of the game was that the menu was uh, a 3d environment where sonic could actually another cool aspect was that the menu was like a 3d environment where sonic could run around uh which utilized uh assets that were meant for uh, a prototype which would eventually become a sonic adventure down the road yeah um, another cool thing I think about Sonic Jam and just in the sense of the work that they did in, in, in getting these true ports over to the Saturn is that Yuji Naka, who was involved in development of, of Sonic, actually, I'm pretty sure um, story goes that he went in personally and helped rewrite the code for Sonic 1 to include the spin dash in Sonic 1, which was not available in the Genesis version, and also fix a couple of game breaking bugs that were available in Sonic 1 um, in order to get the game to to really be the best uh, of what they could offer. So there was some love and care put into Sonic Jam. Sega seems to do better when it comes to working with their older titles uh, when they need to when they need to than when trying to get a new one out the, out the door. So that about wraps it up for the Sega Saturn. It's one of those systems that, you know, we wanted to talk about. It's it's a bizarre kind of uh, little place in Sega's uh, history, I think. But yeah, you know, we mentioned it in our Sega Dreamcast episode, so we just wanted to bring it up and give you a little history on the Sega Saturn. But I'm sure we'll touch upon Sega again in a upcoming episode. Maybe. Who knows? So right now we're going to get into the Is It Really That Bad segment, where we talk about games that have um, mixed or bad reviews and scores on places like Metacritic and on, on Steam. And we're going to give you our, our rundown of whether or not we think those games are that bad, because we've played those games and we've played those games and we have opinions on those games. So the first game that or re- so the game I'm going to talk about today is Watchmen The End Is Nigh which has a, currently a 61% on Metacritic. Watchmen The End Is Nigh is developed by Deadline Games and uh, published by Warner Brothers Interactive Media. Came out in 2009, it was a movie tie-in, so it was a tie-in to the Watchmen movie which was coming out around the same time, and it is a beat-em-up game. So primarily you are fighting off bad guys. And the game is set in the same universe as the Watchmen movie, but not necessarily the comics. And the only reason I say this is because a lot of the aesthetics they take are obviously from the movie, um, such as the Zack Snyder aesthetics. Yeah, the Zack Snyder aesthetics, the Snyder aesthetics, Snyder aesthetics, you could say. Snyder aesthetics. Um, Like the the costume that Night Owl wears is straight up just the one from the movie and the design of the uh, his ship is uh, just the one from the... Archie. Yeah, Archie is just the one from the movie. In the game, you play as either Rorschach or Night Owl, and you beat up bad dudes. Uh, Primarily, they're like biker gang members, and um, I believe they're all part of some like criminal organization led by this villain known as the the Overboss, um, who you have to fight because he escaped from jail, so you gotta beat him up, and that's what Watchmen characters do, is they just punch people. Overall, the game is okay. It, it's definitely not the best piece of Watchmen IP, like use of the Watchmen IP out there. You know, I think like first off comes the comes the book, and then maybe the TV show, and then maybe the like spinoff books that came out. I don't know. I don't know if those are any good. I haven't, I haven't actually read 
the like spin-off comics or the like DC crossover they did. But in any in any case, it's it's not the best piece of uh Watchmen media but if you're a fan of the movie you might enjoy it you know if you really liked the movie it might be something that you'd have fun with it also has local co-op which is pretty cool you know you could sit with a buddy and and beat up some beat up some bad guys beat up some thugs and say no to drugs and then be in bed by 10 when trouble's about you best watch out for the Watchmen (laughs) good uh it's currently five dollars on Steam (laughs) that's a reference to Saturday morning Watchmen if anyone's ever checked it's out an, that um, very fun youtube video amazing it's an amazing little YouTube video. that's probably the number one best use of the Watchmen ip out there <laughs> uh, ever um it's currently I gotta watch that again. yeah it's, it's amazing it's uh currently five dollars on steam um so you can certainly do a lot worse for a lot more um i i again i'd recommend it if you're a fan of the movie or even if you have a, a passing interest in the movie and interest in the game and you're a fan of beat-em-ups um it, it, it does get a little redundant in terms of gameplay. You know, you go through a section, you beat up a bunch of bad guys, you go through the next section, but that's kind of like how all beat-em-ups are. So uh, it, it's certainly in theme. Uh, overall, not that bad. It's mindless violence, and you star as everyone's favorite grumpy superhero, and also Night Owl's there. <laughs> and also Night Owl. <laughs> uh, and I wouldn't say Rorschach is a, a superhero. <laughs> no. He's, well, yeah, you're right. He's just kind of a dude. <laughs> he's a, a grumpy costume vigilante a grumpy costume vigilante my is it really that bad is a game called sword coast legends scoring a wonderful 61 percent on metacritic we actually synced our scores on metacritic this time around uh released in 2015 and actually was removed from all retail in 2017 <laughs> nice <laughs> it was a an action role-playing game in set in the D world uh which is dungeons and dragons developed by a company called n space lowercase n high capital s space which is now also defunct and published by digital extremes it is a a computer role-playing game or a crpg and has the isometric top-down view and it touted you could play a game and have a friend be the dungeon master there were there was a single player campaign and a cooperative multiplayer mode so i played it and i played it with my friends we played about four hours so the game it's pretty boring. It's pretty straightforward and it just didn't have the expansive choices nor real like choices with value that you come to expect with computer role playing games. It came out in 2015, so you're actually going head to head right there with Pillars of Eternity, which is a far superior classic uh, computer role playing game and it still is available to purchase. Um, so in uh, so on December 11th, 2017, it was announced via social media that Sword Coast Legends would no longer be available for retail after December 31st of 2017, which in my humble opinion is kind of a really jerky move by releasing I know it's 27 like 2017 you're probably not buying physical copies at game stores or grandmothers are no longer buying physical copy at game stores of video games but to to pull a game from retail after Christmas because you want to try and get you want to squeeze out Christmas sales is just kind of uh, I don't know it's just kind of a low bar move I think in my opinion they did say that their servers would remain operational for quote unquote the for the foreseeable futures on December 31st, 2017. On July 25th, 2018, those servers closed. <laughs> and now that game can no longer be played multiplayer at all because they require the game servers to even play multiplayer. 
So you can't even direct connect with somebody because you have to use the multiplayer server. So the game can only be played offline. So you can only play the lackluster single player game. So half the reason you would want to buy this game would be to be the dungeon master for your friends. Can't do that. Yeah, so a lot of that happened because, uh, well, A, it it performed poorly. Uh, It was met with very mixed critical reception, um, scoring in the 50s for most games, uh, most major outlook game scoring systems. It just was, I just, I don't recall anything of value from it, and I don't even remember my four hours. It was licensed by Dungeons & Dragons, which is great. But they ended up not renewing the license and Endspace, like Digital Extremes did not renew the license and Endspace was defunct so they couldn't do anything with it. So without the license it really can't be sold because they don't have the license to sell it. So it's one of the reasons why it was pulled from retail if you're wondering why it was taken from retail. I still own it. It's I can still play it if I want if I just want to play the offline version. But the real question is... Is it really that bad? So it was a pretty boring game, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because you can't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's I it was it was a pretty boring, lackluster game that uh, didn't do the Dungeons and Dragons license any justice at all. Yeah, right. And now it is gone. Yeah. Huh. Except for my Steam library, <laughs> there it will remain. <laughs> so that's gonna be the that's gonna be the fork into this episode on the Sega Saturn. Yep, put a fork in it, and it's done. So you can contact us by sending us an email at classicgamingbrothers at gmail You can also send us an email to Seth at classicgamingbrothers or Zach at classicgamingbrothers I believe you can also send us an email to classicgamingbrothers at classicgamingbrothers.com. Yes, you should be able to do that. (laughs) You may also go to the contact us form on our website, fill out all your information there, and that will also send us an email, all going to the same email box, which I mostly read and Zachary occasionally checks. We will respond to you in a timely fashion, I would say. Yeah. Some of our more dedicated listeners, it may take a little more longer time, but... If you're a new listener, we'll respond immediately. Um, and Those new listeners first. Uh, those new listeners always come first. Or, or new emailers. You could be a longtime listener and never have emailed us before. But if you are a new emailer to us, we will respond quickly. If you send us three emails a week or three emails a day, then... Uh, we we may take a little while to respond. Long time listener, first time writer. Long time list. That's what I want to hear. Read in every email. Also, by sending us an email, we'll enter you into our giveaway, which people have most recently won games from. Uh, uh, we've given away at least four games. Thirty-eight episodes. That's four games. That's a pretty good clip right there. And we've got plenty more games to give away. We will be, in fact, giving away games for Time Eternium. So uh, if you want to choose from our list of our list of random assortment of PC games, uh, send us an email and we will put you on the, uh, the in the drawing for a giveaway. Support us. You could support us by listening to our episodes. Uh, at the end of the day, we, we appreciate the listens. We appreciate the downloads of the episodes. Uh, we appreciate feedback. If you want, you can uh, review us uh, and give us uh, a rating on whatever podcast app that you're listening to. That helps us with um, being uh, playing to the algorithms that we exist in. You may also, if you wish, buy us uh, buy buy us merch. I mean, of course, you may always buy us merch. <laughs> you could also buy yourself merch. So if you wish, you can uh, buy yourself merch with our stuff. You 
go on to the website. There's a store there. You can buy our either our t-shirt or our mug. They are due for a refresh. We know. We'll get to it. And there you can check out other pages. We do put up new pages on the website pretty uh, irregularly, but they do go up occasionally. Uh, so check it out and uh, listen. always listen to more episodes is, is what is really what the, the how you can support us. If you for some reason want to send us something in the mail, uh, send us an email and we'll figure something out and we can open it via the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to send us actual mail. Yeah. Which we haven't gotten yet, but who knows? You could be the first one to send us actual mail. Yeah. We'll open it on the podcast and we'll describe whatever it is. And finally, you can listen to us wherever you can listen to your podcast. We are on uh, multiple podcast listening apps i think a majority of them all the mainstream ones including some we are even in the pipeline for some that have not even come out yet which is exciting uh so if you want to listen to us just search your library whatever service you use and search for classic gaming brothers we'll be there i mean you found us at least to hear this so you can find us again (laughs) and uh with that said uh i think that's gonna be it unless Zach, do you have anything else to add? Uh, there was one thing that I was thinking of. Oh, it's don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Zach. And I've been Seth. We've been the classic gaming brothers. That's, That's right. right. I I got nothing for Sega Saturn noises at the interface, but I'll find something. Oof, maybe just like a, just, a sad... Just a disappointed, um, disappointed sound. Yeah, what is that? The Charlie Brown walking off into do, the... Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> then Charles Schultz can sue us. Yeah.